to nurture a body for peak performance. That's what the anti-aging field has、mm-hmm. evolved from, which was to optimize the peak athletes. You know, the 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 premium athletes because、mm-hmm. they don't have diseases. So how do we <laughs> optimize them? Yeah. So in the process of optimizing them, that's when we realized, okay, then we can actually help these people. To prevent them from aging and from declining, so that's how anti-aging medicine was started. We can learn from elite athletes and how they perform and recover, especially in recent years. Like you're telling me, most of the NFL is taking peptide therapy and integrating these new strategies,、mm-hmm. and you can see things about the red light therapy and the cold plunging.、Yeah. And so the top athletes are on the cutting edge by necessity, and. The controversy and confusion around science, especially with eating and topics like that, I pay a、yeah. lot of attention to what the best, fittest people, highest performing people are doing. Welcome to the Dr. Joy Kong podcast. This is where I have a chance to share with you some of the latest developments in the space of holistic health, longevity, and wellness. I have always honored intellectual curiosity and scientific rigor, combined with real-world practicality. My goal is that what you learn here will help you live longer and live better. Hope you enjoy the journey with me. Okay, so here okay, we are. Okay, no turning、well. back. Thank you for <laughs> starting out with us. We are warmed up. I am so honored to be on the Joy Kong podcast. Big fan, and、um, I think we'll have no problem. Figuring、yeah. out things to talk about. Well, there's a lot to pick your brains for. Is that the right word? Heck yeah. <laughs> so,、um, illustrious Brad Kern, Kerns. Yes. <laughs>、um, World class athlete, and you have、uh, you won championship in what? Tell me about.、Uh, Long time ago, so I was I was a professional triathlete. Wow. I did that for nine years. It was really a great journey and. Um, pushing the body very hard in that sport and training all day and traveling around the world, so that was like a nice segment of my life where I was like full bore into this extremely competitive and intense career track. It was、mm-hmm. something I dreamed about my whole life. Yeah. And then it ends at a young age, and then I go on with the rest of my life. So now I'm 57, and I retired from racing when I was 30.、Uh, but you know, one of the things I like to talk about most and what I stand for is like keeping that edge going. Mm-hmm. Your whole life, and having something that drives you and motivates you, and gives you like a little bit of、um, competitive intensity to counter all these comfortable and relaxing aspects of modern life, where we can just sit and watch others perform if we want、yeah. forevermore. And then I can tell you stories about back in the day when I was really good at sports and won all these races <laughs> and all those things. So,、um, you know, my my background kind of、uh, informs my. My life journey forever, and that's what's really valuable about it is you know seeing, seeing what's what's possible at every age and、right. recalibrating your goals for your、uh, particular life circumstances、yeah. and age groups. So I'm not like some freak that's going out there and still training all day long like I did in my twenties. Uh, but I have, you know, certain priorities and things in life that mean a lot to me. They don't have to mean a lot to anything else. I'm not being filmed on television when I'm doing. I go on the the old man, the masters track meets. So I do high jumping and sprinting with a bunch of people my own age, and、uh, it's just so fun to train for it. And I go pretty slow. I mean, I, I'm I'm okay. I'm ranked because not many people can still jump over the high jump bar at age 57. I got five one, so I might be getting close to your head. <laughs> if, if you want to stand under the bar next time, we can practice. So, So you、yeah. never stopped competing, right? Basically, all these years, the triathlon, 
But then even after that, you were always competing, correct? Yeah, at a point I was competing against little kids. I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say because it was a fun route, but I coached my son and daughter in youth sports from like age five until age 15 when they go off to high school and you let them, you turn them over to real coaches. Uh, but during that time, uh, I really wanted to be a participatory coach and get into it and really experience everything and lead by example and be a role model to the kids. I mean, I was a former athlete, so I had, you know, some respect. I, you know, the, the other um, families appreciated my approach to coaching because I always emphasized like personal growth and having fun and keeping, keeping the focus on uh, improvement rather than the, the over-parenting, highly pressurized things we hear about in youth sports all the time. So it was a great stint, but after a while, I was like, you know, I'd, I'd get my competitive juices going, scrimmaging against 11-year-old soccer players and basketball players. And then one time, my son, uh, you know, like we were driving home from basketball practice or something, and he said, hey, Dad, um, you should probably play in your own league with the adults instead of doing all those crazy moves during our practice. Because I'm like dribbling into these little kids, faking the pass, going up for the basket. I'm like, good point, good point. So uh, I played some adult basketball and things like that. And then after my, my, my son was done with all his sports, then I started to you know, drift into this um, track and field and speed golf and all this fun stuff mm-hmm. that I do yeah. now. So yeah. during the entire process, you were always really tuning your skills on the health optimization, right? Mm-hmm. How to supercharge the body mm-hmm. so it can hit peak for performance. So I'm hoping that you can share some of the things that you have learned along all these years and to share with everybody because you know, to nurture a body for peak performance you know, that's uh, actually, I think that's what the anti-aging field has mm-hmm. evolved from, which was to optimize the peak athletes, you know, the, the, the premium athletes, because mm-hmm. they don't have diseases. So how do we <laughs> optimize true. them? Yeah. So in the process of optimizing them, that's when we realized, okay, then we can actually help these people to prevent them from aging and from declining. So that's how anti-aging medicine was started. Really? Yeah. Okay. So so it's about optimizing like what's already good. Yeah. So 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 we can learn a lot from people who are trying to optimize, you know, from already a good place. Because that, you know, you can teach everybody about how to stop the process of decline. Yeah. 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 So how did you what did you learn along the way? You know, what what were the main things that you thought were really important to help you with peak performance. Well, I like how you reference, you know, looking to the elite performers of the world because like we were talking about before we recorded, there's all this controversy and confusion in the diet world. And that's kind of the world that I've been in for a long time mm. as an author, podcast host, coach, retreat host, you know, writing books about uh, the, the primal paleo and the keto diet and uh, all these things. Um, and there's all this research and science and there's people shouting loud on the internet, uh, promoting their uh, way of being and their yeah. way of eating. And it can really get confusing for the casual person who's just looking for some sensible advice. And same with athletic training there's a lot of controversy about what's the best method to train what's too much what can be counterproductive because i can definitely tell you um, the extreme training that i did as a triathlete was in no way aligned with my health so from ages 20 to 30 when i was at my uh, highest level of training competing on the pro circuit and traveling like crazy like a like a businessman i'd go into the 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 uh, the elite lounges like the premier emeritus pan am lounge with all the businessmen i'd be <laughs> stretching with my leg up on the table <laughs> and eating my food spreading peanut butter on my thing before the flight because i had so many miles i would go in there with anyway um that part was 
uh, an awakening to me because at the time, all I wanted to do was improve my time by one minute to go mm. from 147 to 146. And so you make all these sacrifices to general health in pursuit of the highest level of fitness. Mm. Just like any elite performer in any sport, the football players we know crash into each other, that's not healthy, but even the ultra endurance athletes like I was doing, it's tough. It's tough on your endocrine system, your immune system, your hormones. Lots of things are, are a struggle because you're pushing your body so hard. Mm. So then when you get spit out the other side and go, okay, how am I going to live a long, healthy, active, energetic life? It has, no, it has no semblance to the stuff I was doing before, riding my bike all day. But then we got to find these sweet spots and figure out um, what's the best way to take care of the body. So back to what you were talking about, it's like, we can learn from elite athletes and how they perform and recover, especially in recent years. Like you're telling me, most of the NFL is taking peptide therapy and integrating these new strategies. Mm -hmm. And you can see things about the red light therapy and the cold plunging. Yeah. And so the top athletes are on the cutting edge by necessity. And the controversy and confusion around science, especially with eating and topics like that, I pay yeah. a lot of attention to what the best, fittest people highest performing people are doing. And whatever the science says, this guy's doing it a certain way. Um, we, we have to put a lot of weight toward this anecdotal um, evidence of, of the top performers. So I know you've gone through some evolution of how, <laughs> what you think about nutrition and you know, what to, are optimal things to put in our body. You co-wrote a book with Mark Sisson, right? Oh, many, many books. Oh, yeah. many. I've been going <laughs> nonstop for uh, 20 years. I've written uh, like 21 books now or, or wow. something like that. It's just a blur. Okay. And, um, yeah, it's nonstop. So, so you were a big fan of ketogenic diet, correct? Um, we wrote a few books about the keto diet. And okay. one of them was called The Keto Reset Diet. It was one of the first books to come out about keto. So it was a New York Times bestseller. It reached number one on Amazon. And it was a great moment that you know, we could uh, acquaint a lot of people with this new dietary strategy back in 2017. And now it's blown up to be this super popular, mm -hmm. overhyped thing with all the snacks and the keto bagels and yes. all those things. And so it's kind of a little bit heartbreaking to see like where we departed from the scientific rationale for the ketogenic diet which mm. was really started 100 years ago with um, anti-seizure uh, tendencies. So they, they had drug-resistant seizure patients, yeah. and they tried this diet out, Dr. Wilder, and the seizures uh, subsided because the brain was getting a better source of fuel that was less oxidative stress. Mm -hmm. That's not the same as uh, buying a pack of keto bagels, or they, they call it the bacon and butter uh, binge, where like you're allowed to eat these high-fat foods and mm. still be keto. And so go ahead and, and have, you know, have your bacon strips all day and you know, fail to reflect on the big picture inside of like, what's the best way I can nourish my body. Mm. So fortunately, the keto reset diet was, was like this 21-day reset program. Mm -hmm. And it was conveyed in such a way that said, here's the thing. You can go through this journey to kind of clean up your act because when you're going keto, you're getting rid of all these processed carbohydrate foods, which are our main source of carbohydrates. Um, so you're doing all these solids for yourself by virtue of going on a restrictive diet. Mm -hmm. And so by nature, like all manner of restrictive diets can deliver wonderful health benefits because they're taking us away from the standard Western behavior of unfettered access to indulgent foods and pushing a button now and getting the food delivered to your house or going to the, the Asian restaurant and seeing mm -hmm. your blood sugar spike to 212 because they put industrial seed oils into your stir fry. And, <laughs> you know, um, all that stuff's wonderful to kind of get you on the road to waking up 
realizing that these processed foods are killing us slowly and doing something different. Um, but there's also a, a flip side, which I'm sure we'll get to, but hopefully mm -hmm. that's kind of the acquaintance to, and then, you know, the primal paleo message is, um, get rid of the processed foods and start looking toward the ancestral health or the evolutionary health model mm -hmm. to realize that yeah. humans have nourished and thrived and evolved on wholesome natural foods that are found on yeah. earth rather than yeah in a we factory. were talking about some statistics maybe you can share it here you know it, it's pretty interesting about the human lifespan looking back from a very long time ago can you, you want to share oh a little sure bit? i yeah. mean um the first quip back especially in the early days when people were presenting like this caveman style diet was hey the caveman only lived to 30 years old why should we eat uh, those meat and eggs and and fish and vegetables and fruit and in fact the life expectancy was around 30 something 10,000 years ago before civilization and then when we started to become civilized in Egypt with the cultivation of grains and in Asia with the cultivation of rice and America is the cultivation of corn, then we had civilization, then we had societies um, living in close quarters, then we had warfare, disease, lack of sanitation, and so life expectancy actually dipped and dipped and dipped. And the Roman Empire, life expectancy was the lowest ever at 18. The human life expectancy was 18. So you were talking, the caveman time, you were saying the human lifespan was actually... Yeah, it was like 30-something. Okay. which is not that impressive, but they had infant mortality and they had... But if you, you know, take out the infant mortality... Yeah, you can factor out and see... Then you yeah. said something about the lifespan. If people yeah. pass the age of 18, yeah. they can expect to live to about 94? Yeah, like 50, 54. Oh, 54, okay. would be their life expectancy if they made it past infancy and okay. teenage you know, hardships. So what was um, the 94? You mentioned... This is a scientific term called maximum observed lifespan. Okay. And so it's from archaeology, evolutionary anthropology. Mm. They have fossil records showing that dudes lived till, or probably gals, because the dudes were probably, you know, not as healthy, but... How long ago? 10,000 years ago. 10,000, there, there okay. Was the human lifespan potential was 94. Okay. And now with a study of present-day hunter-gatherers, there's a few pockets left, the Aceh in Paraguay, the Hadza in Tanzania, and you read about these guys, the Bushmen, um, there are common examples of living to be 60, 70 in good health. Mm. Remember, no doctors, no prescriptions, mm. no nothing their entire life. A ear infection could be fatal, the one that you just you know got your kid out of with a, a course of antibiotics. And so it's pretty impressive to be a badass in the jungle and be able to go to 70. And again, in hunter-gatherer format, especially in prehistoric times, we're not talking about drag asses that are going around in wheelchairs living to 70. It's every man for himself. Like the clan didn't have the energy to take care of an mm. ill person who couldn't make a contribution. They can't drag someone around, right? And so these were people that were active, energetic, and healthy their entire life until they died. Mm. And they might have died at 27 from falling, hitting their knee on a rock, getting an infection like I did on mine. I would have been dead from this. I would have been dead from that. You would have been dead from this. <laughs> and so it's pretty, it's pretty good to realize that um, this, this ancient uh, way, especially of eating in this context, the human had a great diet and mm. it started to go south with mm -hmm. the advent of civilization yeah. and the cultivation of grains. Well, can you explain that diet? Well, there's so many geological, you know, uh, types, right? Geographical types of different climates, different, you know, accessibility to plant material. So how do you generalize the, the kind of diet that's called paleo? 
Yeah, good question, because I think this is where we start to um, run off course and, and people running at the mouth, making all these conjectures and then getting them misinterpreted. So I'm going to like take things down a couple notches, people, and say that, A, humans are incredibly resilient creatures. Today we prove that we can live off of uh, pizza, potato chips, and <laughs> you know, occasional uh, burrito and, and live 60, 70, 80 years, right? And not a, I wouldn't say too impressive of a, of, a, of a track if you're just existing and watching a lot of TV and not moving much, but like you still lived 75, smoking and drinking and doing all that. Mm. Um, and so I wanna always focus on what's optimal versus what's possible. So we come into the Uplift Longevity so. <laughs> Center. We're not coming in to, um, you know, band-aid our, our, our sore elbow and go out the door. We're trying to go all the way to optimal in this entire field that you're in. And that's because we have the resources now, we have the knowledge, we have the potential, and say, yes, I'm interested in being a badass at 57 or 67 or 70. You wanna look the same when you're 70, you said, as you 75, do now. yeah. Yeah, why not? And yeah. it's possible. And so. So back um, to the paleo yeah, diet. Back to the so you, optimal you, human diet. Yeah, because yeah. there are the, the, the Plains Indians, they were living mostly on buffaloes, right? And they s supposedly have a very long lifespan. Mm -hmm. And there are other cultures who live probably mostly on plants, right? right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. So when we yeah. say paleo diet, I mean, there's a diversity of right. diet. So yeah. what are we referring to? Um, there's a commonly uh, cited list when you're talking about paleolithic eating, it's the things that um, existed before civilization. And so if you wanna take notes, it's pretty simple. It's like meat, fish, fowl, eggs, vegetables, fruits, nuts and seeds. And that's pretty much the entirety, and insects, because they ate those. That's kind of the entirety of what the ancestral diet was. Mm. That's what they found. They would kill animals and, and um, find plants and include those in the diet. Um, so if you start there, Noticeably absent are heavily processed modern foods, including grains, which is kind of that sticking point where it's like, wait, humans have eaten rice for thousands of years. Yes, <laughs> about 10,000 years. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about before that, before wheat was grown in Egypt, um, we ate the hunter-gatherer style diet. So that's the list of foods I gave, mm. which is hunter-gatherer diet. And you made a great point off camera. They're like, wait a second, just because our ancestors mm -hmm. ate this and this, do we have to do exactly that? And that's really good now because we're going for optimal instead of what's possible. Yeah, they and, may not know about nutrition. Yes, they have instinctual eating, but still, you know, yeah, they, a lot of pieces could be missing. They survived and they arguably thrive because we're here and we rose to the top of the food chain. And some of those branches are interesting to note because humans are, are you know, we became who we are today and uh, the smartest, most dominant creatures ever on the earth because we gained access to nutritious foods and built a bigger brain than the gorilla who we branched off of. And the gorilla today uh, mm. spends all day chewing up 40 pounds of, of produce to fuel a brain that's a third the size of the human. So that's a vote in favor of like the human diet as opposed to the gorilla style diet. She might not like that one, but- Well, um, you know, you get, you, what I'm gorillas getting don't wage like, war, don't- <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Maybe we're, we're worse off in some ways. Or um, not vicious, yeah. So like, we're, what we're going for is like, <laughs> I call it like, my focus is on getting a diet of maximum nutrient density. And so when I'm eating, I want it to count. I also want to enjoy my life. 
but I, I favor foods that give me a tremendous amount of nutrition versus the bag of potato, keto potato chips and keto bagels uh, and sweets and treats and processed foods, mm. which give you calories, but not much nutrition. Mm-hmm. And when you're kind of trying to be objective and scientific about it, and you're doing a nutrient analysis of four ounces of liver, liver is very popular. Uh, my friend Liver King is all over the internet, you know, mm. promoting liver. Liver, it's the number one food. It's the most nutrient dense food on the planet. And that's difficult to dispute because under a microscope and the analysis comes out, it's got you know, a thousand percent of your daily requirement of B12. It's got uh, choline. It's got all the, uh, you know, the the vitamin A, K, E, all these things that are difficult to obtain from, let's say, for example, a plant-based diet where you're having um, salads and kale smoothies and stir fries. Uh, Same with red meat, same with eggs, same with oily cold water fish, the superfoods of the planet that have tremendous amount of nutrition. Mm. Um, So I'm trying not to get like, too controversial or spout off as the guy in the yellow suit saying this is the way you should eat and this is bad but if we could kind of i said we're going to back up and take tone it down a little that was our goal in life (laughs) right get rid of processed foods and if you're still eating processed foods right now in the diet put the youtube thing on pause go to your (laughs) cupboard throw everything away look in your freezer for frozen meals that are made with refined industrial seed oils corn canola sunflower safflower most crap contains these refined oils which are dietary enemy number one uh same with the processed sugars the processed grains things that mess up your metabolic function and cause you to become more dependent on these processed foods as you go down the rest of your days because you're not good at burning body fat efficiently or like in the keto space they're talking about if you fast enough and and you know limit your carbohydrates you'll start making ketones which are the good fuel for your brain and so if you get metabolically efficient that means you're good at burning cellular energy even if you skip a meal and you didn't get around to eating until 12 noon instead of your usual 8 a.m you're you're okay you're fine because your body works well and if it doesn't work well, certain signs are getting droopy in the afternoon, or if you have you know, a lot of that high processed carbohydrate intake in the diet, you get these energy highs, and then you crash. That's why you got to show everybody your thing. Oh, my glucose monitor. Continuous glucose monitor, glucose monitor <laughs> getting very popular because it gives you real-time blood glucose what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so when you feel lousy after a meal and you're wondering what happened, Perhaps you had a glucose spike and then an insulin release to kind of regulate glucose, and that doesn't feel well sometimes. You get a crash, yeah. But I, I'm excited to realize that most everything can be traced back to eating processed foods. Hmm. And so when you clean up your diet, you're going to have an amazing health awakening, even if maybe you're not all the way optimal by some certain standard. Like plant based is such a huge movement now vegan, whole food, plant based eating. Yeah they are systematically restricting most of the highest ranked, most nutritious foods in the, in the world instead in favoring rice and beans and, and plants and uh, kale smoothies and salads and stir fries. Well, supposedly we all have different genetic makeup. There's certain yeah. portions of the population would do really well on mostly plants and yeah. on high carb d- diet. And another portion of the population do really well on high you know, animal protein diet. Yeah. So I think looking at the genetics is really important. Um, that would be going for optimal. Yes. And um, the first gateway, the first door down the hall is get rid of that processed food. That's true. And you don't, yeah. even, ha- you don't even have to test your genetics. Yeah. You'd, we know you're going to do so much better 
And then you can start <clears throat> mixing and matching and trying things out and yeah. seeing what works. And that's kind of hard too because who who the heck knows? Like, um, you know, you might you might think you feel great uh, on this new regimen of having um, a burrito wrap at 11 a.m. and uh, um, a steak at 4 p.m. and something else. Uh, but like, I'm always wondering. Um, am I at level seven right now or I'm at level nine and I want to go to level 10 or am I at level five and I want to go to level six? I, I don't know. I don't know what to compare to. And so I need to be open-minded and think critically at all times to think like, no, I don't have this dialed right now. I feel pretty good. Um, I compare well to other high jumpers in my age group because there aren't that many, but you don't want to like, relax and think that you have everything wired and then start forming fixed and rigid beliefs that this is the way to go and um, you know, you're know you a superior human because you're following a whole foods plant-based diet when you might be deaf to some really important information about right, the nutritional right. benefits of liver and how you have to do like you know, a 21 times more complex chemical reaction to convert beta carotene into usable form of vitamin A, whereby when you're getting a slice of liver, you're getting 1,000% of your daily RDA for vitamin A. Just a little spouting examples mm -hmm. like that. But yeah, I know you've uh, made some uh, changes to your own diet approach, right? How long ago yeah. did you make uh, a somewhat of a shift? Well, um, back in 2008, uh, I started working with Mark Sisson, who's widely regarded as the forefather, one of the forefathers of the primal paleo movement. Mm -hmm. And so we got together. We were old friends. We were old-time athletes in triathlon. And he mm -hmm. coached me when I was a pro triathlete. So this is years later. He says, I'm on this new um, ancestral uh, you know, science, and uh, it's, it's building into this thing that I want to form a lifestyle movement around, and it's called the Primal Blueprint, and here's what you do. Here's how you eat. Meat, fish, fowl, eggs, vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds. No grains, because grains are civilization food, and they're processed. They're high in carbohydrate. They're minimal in nutrition. Mm -hmm. Brown rice is better than white rice. It's got more nutrition. Guess what? Those pale in comparison to your sardines, your eggs, your steak, your liver, your oysters, your salmon eggs, the true foods with nutrient density. So it's a um, ancestral style diet, and that was back in 2008, mm. when prior to that I was eating what would be widely regarded as a healthy diet, no junk food, mm -hmm. no wrapped up frozen garbage or stopping at the fast food. So I would have like, you know, meat, pasta with vegetables, broccoli on top. And I had big bowls of cereal, but it was always the good cereal without the sugar in it. It was granola from the health food store, mm. um, things like that. And mm -hmm. so that was a huge change because mm. it was like a cold turkey shift to like, okay, no grains. Grains aren't healthy. <laughs> We're supposed to follow a grain-based diet. That's the standard recommendation. So how did that shift go? How did you do physically? Um, I think it took, you know, a couple months to get down off that huge carbohydrate intake. And I had been doing so throughout my time as a triathlete as well, which predated that. And so I was kind of a person that lived off of carbs and had the energy bars in my drawer because I would need to munch two or three of those a day when I was sitting at my work desk and so forth. So that was a nice awakening. I was basically like shifting from this huge bowl of cereal every morning to a huge omelet. Was it challenging? Was it uh, difficult for your body? No, to, nothing's uh, challenging you... for me, Joy. <laughs> just do it. I mean, here's but another. But did you get energy yeah. dips during the process? Bit. Yeah, I think okay. so. Yeah. And I also got them before I switched my diet, too. 
Mm. You know, like I think anyone who's not eating like really optimally mm. is going to be familiar with, for example, gas, bloating, digestive discomfort in association with meals, elimination irregularities, energy swings, headaches uh, at certain times, especially when you go to busy trade shows and your brain's going all the time and you end with a headache. And um, <laughs> stuff like that would happen to me a lot when I was an athlete, when mm. I was a busy father that wasn't getting as much sleep as I got when I was an athlete, all those things. So I feel like the big breakthrough was switching over to more nutritious and mm. less processed food, especially um, the grains. Which, so it you did know, heal some of the problems that the symptoms you were discussing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of people that it was life transformation saved their life because okay. they were highly sensitive to the gluten and the things that are contained in grains that yeah. rip their intestinal permeability and they have all kinds of autoimmune inflammatory conditions and they have you know life-saving i wasn't that person i was pretty healthy before and i continued to be healthy and, and going strong mm -hmm. but again i'm you know i'm going for optimal i'm setting competitive goals and things like that and so i guess that would bring us to like the next major shifts mm. which occurred in recent years mm -hmm. and that one is uh this you know they call it the the carnivore message or the the animal-based dietary movement uh certain leaders like dr paul saldino dr sean baker saying that hey there's a lot of evidence that these natural toxins that are contained in plants might not be good for you and they're certainly not necessary because they're not nearly as nutritious as the animal superstar foods. And I was like, wow, that's interesting because I thought like a salad would be the epitome of healthy living. I mean, well, who criticizes salad ever, uh, you know? Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of nutrition. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's, you know, I, I think it would be, you know, presumptuous to, to say that, you know, the plant source of nutrition is worthless. You know, that's... Yeah, um, it gets uh, a little uh, spicy. And like when you go into these big proclamations and you're shouting them, it can, it can, you know, rightfully turn people off. And if you're not sensitive and you don't see any adverse effects and you've been going well with your midday salad and you love uh, steamed broccoli uh, for dinner with a steak, hopefully, right? I mean, these things are what we're, what we're going for is feeling great and uh, enjoying your life and enjoying the food. Um, but for me, um, I was noticing that I had certain symptoms. For example, when I prepared my super duper green nutrition smoothie in the morning mm. and I'd throw in uh, big piles of frozen uh, kale, spinach, mm -hmm. celery, beets, carrots, you know, all the top phytonutrients and these great things but that's a huge dose of raw produce and when it's raw it's very difficult to digest versus cooked same mm -hmm. with all other almost all vegetables you need to soak sprout ferment or cook them or they will kill you in the case of right um, uh, rice or a cashew right so we need to prepare these foods make them digestible make sure they work for us um, if we have Asian ancestry, we're going to be uh, having white rice probably very easy to digest. If we have Scandinavian ancestry, we're going to be okay with milk products our whole life. Scandinavian ancestry has 90% lactose persistence, mm. and the world has 80% lactose intolerance. Mm. And so there's a, there's a big vote for testing your genetics or asking your mom and dad where they were born, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, so when I realized that I was drinking these smoothies in the name of health and getting my stomach bloated out for hours afterward every day, <laughs> but thinking it's worth it because it's healthy, yeah. um, that 
was something I had to rethink. I was forced to rethink. Mm. And I'm like, you know, this shouldn't happen if I'm drinking something that's boosting my health. So a lot of times we have like a package deal here where we're consuming this super nutritious food, but these are known to have high levels of uh, natural toxins that can cause disturbance in the digestive tract and also inhibit nutrient absorption. Well, if you have a conversation with Dr. Brian Clement, you probably, <laughs> that's going to be a good debate because, you know, he's a proponent of raw food. You know, in <laughs> Hippocrates Health Institute, they've healed a lot of people with chronic illnesses, mm -hmm. including cancer. Um, it's all raw vegan. Raw vegan has more nutrition than cooked vegetables because when you cook it, you reduce the nutrient density. Same with meat. It just makes it easier to digest. And so now we're like on this tightrope, like, well, what can yeah. I eat that's raw? Should so I, eat it I, raw, I don't completely you know? agree with raw either. I mean, yeah. I, gro growing up in Chinese culture, you know, just like when you cook herbs, you, you're, you're boiling so many herbs all together because, you know, in the process of cooking it, there's new compounds that can form and they, they can have this synergistic effect. So same as food, you know, I think a lot of when I first came to the U.S., I was shocked when people were eating uh, cauliflower raw. I said, you can't eat this raw because I had the idea. I never, never would have touched it if it's raw yeah. because it, it yeah. almost felt like it was poisonous. Well, it's it so is. funny. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like that yeah. has to be cooked. But, yeah. you know, so you have these diverging approaches. Yeah. Um, yeah, it gets very confusing. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I love salad. So, I, you know, but then the Indian Ayurvedic approach is mm -hmm. depending on your constitution. Mm -hmm. you, if you're a pita type, you know, you have a lot of fire, mm -hmm. you can, you know, digest and, you know, you know, assimilate the, um, uh, the raw vegetables, mm -hmm. you know, salads very easily. Yeah. But if you're other constitutions, then it's difficult. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of different approaches. Approaches. A lot of stuff floating around. Yes. But again, we passed whatever minute mark that was on the video, we passed through the gate of eliminating processed foods. Yeah, thank and God. And so like anyone who's listening, forming an opinion, um, disagreeing, agreeing, when we're talking about should you cook your celery stalks or put it in the blender, we're talking about optimization rather, and, and, and instead of hey, you're going to die if you continue to consume these oils throughout your lifetime. It's, they're, they're responsible for exactly. half a million deaths a year. Yeah. Directly responsible. Something that we can easily eliminate and throw these bottles yeah. of things away. And so yeah. I've gone down this road for a long time. I live and breathe this stuff. And now I sit back in, in more reflective state, realizing, and that's why I appreciate our um, counterpoints here, because... I tend to get super enthusiastic about things and be willing to share. And then it's like, well, you know, it's working for someone. They report no adverse effects. Um, they enjoy their life. They enjoy their diet. But don't talk to me that your Nestle's Crunch Bar and your Domino's Pizza order. Oh, we just lost a sponsor for the show. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, that stuff is, in my opinion, and I'll share the opinion, that doesn't equate with enjoying life. You're making a huge sacrifice mm. to enjoy a few bites of pizza because it's compromising your health. And so how do we best enjoy our life? Maybe manage some of these uh, social customs, cultural programming that thinks it's necessary yeah. to take our kids to Chuck E. Cheese for the birthday party and stuff these kids with sugar cupcakes and, and crappy processed food and then teach them that that is associated with celebration for the rest of their life. So you can tell like when my kids were little, they would get these like speeches in the car. We'd be driving by McDonald's. I'm like, that's McDonald's. They're evil. The big M is <laughs> evil. McDonald's kills people with bad food. And then they'd repeat it when they were one and a half or whatever. <laughs> that's McDonald's. They're terrible. 
Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Just fighting that battle, man. Yeah. So yeah. were you on carnivore diet for a while? Uh, well, not with this uh, attribute of eliminating carbohydrate foods and eliminating plant foods. Because, again, I wasn't a, a sufferer that oh, needed okay. to desperately go and try it. Okay. But what I did was like I make these little nuanced transitions to try to make a better effort, for example, to eat nose to tail style, okay. which means adding the organ meats in. And by the way, we talked about some traditional cultures. Every traditional diet, every heritage has organ meats as a centerpiece. Mm-hmm. Asian food across the board, every country. Um, French food is probably the most prominent known for having their, uh, th- their brains and their things that are, you know, mm-hmm. traditional French recipes. The Mexican diet with um, the, the soups and the, um, you know, the, the, the various, noodle, yes. all that stuff. I yeah. mean, and we got rid of it all with the age of fast food, especially. There's a great book called Fast Food Nation by Eric mm. Schlosser, written in like 1998 or so. And he talks about how culture experienced this massive shift starting in the U.S. Thank you very much. In fact, the four major fast food chains all started in Southern California, McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Carl's Jr. in the 50s after the war. And so it this wow. transition occurred from the family home cooked meal where the kids were chopping the vegetables and preparing things from scratch and visiting and connecting as a family and sitting down to driving through the drive through hmm. because parents could now show their love to their children by buying them a hot cooked meal without making any effort. And so that's where we're now. And we drifted away from those amazing bowls of uh, stew that your grandmother made uh, with the eyeballs in there and whatever else the pig's feet and all the things that a lot of people think eating liver is gross now or eating uh, body parts that aren't part of uh, steak or, or hamburger and so that's something to try to bring back into um, you know uh, uh, today's culture yeah and it's pretty strongly supported like if your grandmother and great-grandmother and great-grandmother all ate this way, and now you're saying, ew, gross, I don't want to have any um, uh, kidneys in my, uh, in my, in my diet, um, it might be a nice time to wake up. Well, the people who are more educated, who are more into biohacking, these are the people <laughs> now are leading the charge to incorporate more organ meat, right? Yeah. So, so I assume, you know, the masses will gradually follow if these smart, successful, healthy, vibrant people are you are eating these organ meat. So hopefully, you know, everybody's going to catch on. Good so, point. Yeah. yeah. So, so you, but you changed your approach recently by incorporating more fruits yeah, instead so, of vegetables. Um, I'm, I'm going down this timeline and now appreciating the, the, uh, the animal-based message where these are the most nutritious foods. So trying to make a better effort, especially to be more inclusive Bone broth is another example of mm-hmm. a nose-to-tail style. Mm-hmm. The bone broth, authentic bone broth, made from leaching the material out of the bones, especially the great uh, agents that, that are found in connective tissue only, not in uh, muscle meat, steak or hamburger, collagen being the most prominent one. Now it's a huge supplement mm-hmm. uh, fascination because it has great properties and we don't get it in the diet. Um, then uh, recently I was realizing with the popularity of what we could describe as restrictive diets Mm. where you have fasting as part of your protocol or intermittent fasting yes um or keto by nature is highly restricted because you have to limit your carb intake to 50 grams a day or below which is almost nothing Mm. in order to qualify for the potential to make ketones Mm -hmm. and you also don't want to eat a ton of extra protein when you're trying to be keto Mm. and so you're kind of in this high fat diet or fasting a lot um and i've 
definitely been, um, you know, spreading this message that these things have tremendous health benefits mm -hmm. and it's all scientifically validated. When you're in a fasted state, your body works better than at any other time. It's better than any, you know, super juicy smoothie antioxidant boost. When you're fasted, you have antioxidant response, you have anti-inflammatory response, you have immune-boosting response, you have autophagy, the natural cellular internal, internal detoxification process is a definition. And so your body's like repairing, regenerating, um, the, the organs shrink after a five-day fast because they lose the inflammation and they shed the dysfunctional cells that could turn cancerous, and you have a literal health awakening mm -hmm. from doing things like fasting. Now, we also have to acknowledge that these are stress mechanisms. When you're in a fasted state, your body kicks in to an essential, essentially a fight-or-flight response with this anti-inflammatory, antioxidant cell repair. The cell repair example is easy to understand because if you're not getting a bunch of food to divide your cells and, and you know, get more energy externally, you have to be more efficient with the energy inside your own body. Mm. So you're burning energy efficiently in all these things. If we now overlay that into stressful modern life where we have an assortment of stressors, in my case, my main stressors are trying to do magnificent athletic feats at age 57. <laughs> that's a stressor. That's a stressor. They're both a stressor. My age and my desired workout protocol. And then I also have to write a book on a deadline and do this and do this and, and exist in modern life where we have all these chronic stressors. And now I'm going to be in a routine fasting protocol where I don't eat until noon uh, in the name of getting a health benefit mm -hmm. and then limit my intake of carbs, for example, or whatever it is that could be qualifying as a restrictive diet that arguably would make for a more stressful lifestyle. And there's a counterpoint that if you get really good at fasting, then fasting is not that stressful. And if you work hard, and I've been fasting for many years, until midday, it's no trouble for me to fast until 12 noon. It's, right. I'm not I mean, dying these, on, the, on the side of the road. Some of these pioneers, I mean, like Davis Sinclair, doesn't he only eat one meal a day? Many people like that. Yeah. yeah. So Longevity, they're, they're doing uh, that chronically. So yeah. do we have any studies about what the health consequences of fasting chronically? Um, they, there's a big argument that it promotes longevity. There's okay. a lot of rat studies and animal studies and studies of the C. elegans algae creature mm -hmm. that if you restrict its calories by 60%, it lives like three times as long. Mm -hmm. And um, the rat studies all show that if you give the rats less food, they live longer. It's the most profound calorie restriction is the most profound longevity extender in the laboratory animals. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's an interesting thing to think about. The rat studies are universally using shitty rat pellet food, laboratory rat food. So it's like if you feed a rat less junk food, <laughs> it will live longer than a rat who is allowed to eat as That's much junk funny. food no as No one it is wants. talking about that, though. No one's talking about that. What a lot of people are talking about that I really respect and listen to is when you're going for longevity and health span, right, not just making it to a number, but living strong, energetic, happy, healthy life, called a health span, um, the most prominent driver of that is maintaining functional muscle strength mm -hmm. throughout life. So if you have uh, strength and muscle mass on your body as you age, you're going to 
depart from that disastrous superhighway where people are just getting into accelerated decline associated with chronological aging because they're not working their body and they're not maintaining their muscle mass and not staying active. They fall, they come to misfortune. It's the number one cause of uh, uh, demise. The number one morbidity factor in Americans over age 65 is falling mm -hmm. and associated consequences. That's the number one killer. In, 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 the, 19, in the teenage to 35, it's um, uh, suicide, drunk driving. Mm -hmm. You know, like we can find ways to screw up our lives through all the age groups. But in the, in the latter years, the golden years, all you have to do is the number one priority mm. is start working your body and keeping it strong mm. with walking, with doing resistance training, doing high explosive things when you can work up to even just getting on a bicycle, no impact, and sprinting for 30 seconds and resting or 10 seconds, whatever. And so if that's the, the top, that's the ultimate as far as optimal, I want to go there rather than starve myself to try to set the record and beat. The current record is 122, so my motto is like live to 123. It's as easy as 123, and then that'll yeah. break the record if I get to 123. Um, but I don't want to be in some robe shuffling along through the monastery and having lentil soup and brown rice once a day and then right. shuffling back to my meditation cushion. I want to beat the record in the high jump when I'm 95. You know what the record is for 95-year-olds in the high jump? No. It's 0 0.9 meters, which is like less than three feet. Oh. So if I can jump into bed <laughs> when I'm 95, I will break the world record. And I am focused on that goal. I'm pretty sure I'm you're going to break it, yes. Goal. I could do five, a little over five feet now if I can take it that's down to great. three feet. That's good. Yeah. But that's, that's a big one because okay. muscle mass, muscle strength, yeah. that's vitality. I think you know. one, maybe one interesting indicator is to look at the existing sedentarians in, around the world. Yeah, super and fun. And huh? are they restricting their diet? Are they, you know, only yeah. eating one meal a day? How do they get to 115? Yeah, and it's funny because, like, we'll pull something out out of context, and it's really messed up, especially the blue zones, which I love 70% of it. And 30% of it's kind of bullshit, mm. I'm sorry to say. But I, I do love 70% of it going and finding these pockets of centenarians. Mm -hmm. One criticism, hilariously, is that the pockets they found also happen to correlate with high rates of birth certificate fraud and pension fraud. No. In other words, like Jean Calment, the oldest living human of all time, 122 years old, yeah. there's an extensive investigation as to whether this lady might be that lady's daughter because she could collect the pension God. for another 50 years oh, for God's and sake. they actually validated that yeah this woman's legit there's tons of records and so she really did live to be 122 okay but there's a ton of people where you get the wonderful story from uh the the caucasus mountains and the person's 114 it's like no nah, they're 87 uh whatever <laughs> but that's kind of an aside yeah uh, but these these cultures have these wonderful things in common, like especially um, Japanese Okinawa, which has been lauded as one of the greatest longevity pockets. Mm -hmm. um, they have a great um, social fabric, mm -hmm. and they have ikigai, this purpose for living, and they have these small groups of uh, social connections that they last their entire life. They get together once a week, and they talk, and they visit, and they have this richness of the social fabric, which is believed to be a huge longevity factor, and loneliness is believed to be worse than smoking and mm -hmm. taking 10 years off your life or some crazy number like yes. that. Yeah. Um, and then if you listen to a certain type of Blue Zones proponent, they'll say they all have a plant-based diet. They all eat a lot of vegetables mm -hmm. and things like that. Right. They also eat um, a fair amount of meat 
and they also walk a lot, and they also um, have all homegrown, uh, you know, locally grown foods, and have all these other attributes. And so we're sitting here in the metropolises and, you know, the crazy traffic of Los Angeles and uh, the, the fast food and all these things. And we're going to pull out like one favorite thing rather than get out of your car and walk to the, mar- the farmer's market on Sunday in a backpack and fill it up with seven pounds of whatever you want <laughs> and walk home. Whatever's in there, it doesn't matter. Even if it's a pastured chicken and two dozen eggs or it's a bunch of kale you're just doing so fantastically well for your health and your longevity by walking a mile to the farmer's market and walking back with a heavy pack. I always want to push it out to big picture. That's why, you know, going back a while, we talk about the athletes and how they live their lives and they Mm. prioritize sleep. And LeBron James spends a million dollars a year on advanced training and therapies and coaches and experts and contraptions Mm. to get his body right Mm. because he he knows, you know, the the value is there. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're kind of, we're kind of scrambling and rambling around a lot, but oh, back to the restrictive diets. Yeah. My my, uh, recent awakening is that I'm probably not a good candidate to mess with that stuff because I'm going for peak performance, recovery, more peak performance, more, um, you know, vitality, energy, and I measure my health and, and well-being by, let's say, can I jump over the high jump bar? Not, did I get out of the danger zone with my last blood test? So if you're going to the doctor and you got your last blood test and it's not looking good, you gotta get out and move more, we gotta do this, we gotta do that, we gotta cut out the junk food, and you're on a whole different objective than someone going for peak performance. And so my thing is like, I don't see a rational, a justification for me to fast because I'm trying desperately so hard to recover from the last workout and do one in a few more days. Mm. So instead, I'm doing this experiment to consume more nutritious food, consume more calories every day, mm-hmm. and purposely do so, and go looking for more fruit in the evening rather than kind of keeping that tight control and that regulation that health-conscious people want to do. You don't want to just overeat and eat everything around. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's healthy and nutritious, we also said this uh, uh, off camera, like it's very difficult to become a glutton when your diet is healthy, wholesome foods. There's not too many people that can raise it. Yeah, remember that time when you had too many omelets at the omelet bar? <laughs> no, I don't. Cause I've had two in Vegas before when they make all those delicious, <laughs> you know, those all you can eat breakfast bars. And I'll just go right to the omelet guy and I'll say, hey, you know, here's an extra couple dollars. Can you make it in butter instead of refined industrial seed oil? Oh. And I'll go get two omelets or, and, and other stuff. And I'm highly satisfied. Uh, have you ever eaten too many steaks and felt like crap after the picnic? No, it's eating the, the junk that is where you have the tendency to keep reaching into the bag of potato chips and keep going, keep going, because there's no nutrition and your brain knows it tells you to keep eating processed food in a, in a desperate attempt, a failed attempt to get the nutrition you need. So mm-hmm. if you have high satiety foods around, like fruit, because it has all the water and the fiber mm-hmm. and it tastes great and it has nutritional benefits and steak and uh, a nice cut of fish and vegetables and stir fries if you like that, whatever it is, you're gonna feel great and you're gonna naturally optimize caloric intake, appetite, energy, all those things. And we should mention appetite here is like, it trumps almost everything, right? Because no matter how much willpower you have and how tiger your Beijing is, <laughs> you're not going to beat your actual natural appetite and your biological craving for crappy energy if you happen to be 
having that as a pattern in your life. You just can't. You can't extricate yourself yeah. when your appetite is telling you to eat more. And Gary Taubes is one of the great science journalists and has written some be- many best-selling books on diet. He has a great line in his book that's called Why We Get Fat. And he says, um, it starts out like it's not your fault. He's talking to the obese population, which today is... Um, two-thirds of Americans are classified as overweight, one-third are classified as obese. So it's a lot of people listening. said, it's not your fault. Mm. Gluttony and sloth are not the causes of obesity. They are the symptoms of obesity. Mm. And what he means by that is like someone who's in bad metabolic shape, it's nicer to say someone with uh, poor metabolic health is sitting on the couch and people are saying, those people should get off their ass and exercise more like me, and they shouldn't eat all that junk food. What's happened is that person does not have good cellular energy production, so they are tired. And it's difficult to get off the couch and go walk down the street to the mailbox and walk back because they don't have good cellular energy. They're exhausted. They don't feel like working out. And when you're exhausted and you don't have good energy, how are you going to get your energy to stay awake if you're working at a desk job? You're going <laughs> to go eat more. some more junk food. Yeah. And so the gluttony part is my appetite's on all the time because I'm not getting the energy I need. So I do need more potato chips and more ice cream. And then you get that little bump. And those people should be wearing the glucose monitor to see like, yeah. wait a second, you got issues here. You're not, something's not working right inside. And it's most likely due to processed foods. And then the exercise part, boy... Um, if somehow you could get pushed up and going for a short walk, that would be nice. But I, I can feel for that person because I was that person when I was a triathlete and I'd go into these, um, these bomb outs of exhaustion Hmm. from training and racing around the world. And in one time, two different times in my career, I was on the couch for six weeks, just bombed out. (laughs) What happened? What's wrong with you? I'll tell you what's wrong now. I know after spending all this money on all these advanced medical tests and everything's like, you're wonderful. You have great blood values. All this, all these things came back superior. I was traveling around and racing uh, 44 races in two years all over the globe. And one time, you know, the wave, the wave ends, then you crash and burn and you realize how stressed and how crazy your lifestyle has been and you need a long time to recover. And so I felt that sense where I could not get off the couch. I sat and watched TV for six weeks. Wow. And every day I'd like, maybe today's the day I can train again because that's my identity and I'm a full-time athlete. I should be out there for hours every day like I have been for years. And I'd get up and I'd maybe go try to walk to the mailbox and I'd feel like I wish I could lay down in my driveway and take a nap right now. It just, it wasn't happening for obviously an entirely different reason than someone with obesity and metabolic damage. But um, when when you realize it's not your fault, um, and it's, it's not your lack of willpower or any of those things. It's actually a chemistry problem. Yeah. Whew. It can be an awakening to say, hey, it's possible here to turn this thing around, starting with maybe it requires like going overboard yeah. and going for two omelets in the morning so that you may not reach for those potato chips four hours from now, nor the Ben and Jerry's at nighttime. Oh, I just yeah. lost you another sponsor. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I think another thing that people are not taking into account is whatever you're eating, putting your body, you're not necessarily extracting the nutrients because our microbiome may not be optimal we may not have the you know enough of the digestive enzymes to help our, us digest what we put in our body. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another big factor that people shouldn't ignore. I mean, of course, they need a you know 
a qualified, you know, doctor to really help them, you know, not your regular doctor, sorry to say, but doctors who are familiar with functional medicine, who are actually up to date with the newer <laughs> evidence in medicine, which would take many years to get to the mainstream. Um, mm. But, you know, it also is reminding me because I've done, I've gone through my own evolution. I've tried vegan diet, you know, after watching Forks Over Knives. Mm. And, um, and, you know, I did okay. But I, I think a lot of times, uh, you know, someone may do okay on a diet, especially in the beginning. But over time, if it's something very restrictive, you're missing certain kind of nutrients, mm -hmm. um, you're going to start to see issues. A vegan diet is extremely high risk. I don't want to out, outright criticize it and sound like a, a wise ass. It's just high risk. And you, you have a possibility to thrive and optimize, like you said, pr possibly due to genetics or m almost most likely due to genetics. But it's just high risk because you're, you're cutting out... Um, you know, yeah. the most nutritious foods. But what was your question? But for, for people who were only eating a carnivore diet, yeah. I, I think someone told me Paul uh, Saladino mm -hmm. actually incorporated plant mm -hmm. sources. Right? Yeah, uh, the, 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 he famously, you know, he's one of the leaders of the carnivore movement. So he was gung-ho on, um, you know, eating, eating only animal foods, which it turns out is basically a zero carbohydrate mm -hmm. uh, pattern. And we know from there's you know, lots of examples of people that can actually do pretty well with very minimal carbs and being in long-term ketosis for years. Mm. There's a bodybuilder and power lifter in Mexico named Luis Villasenor, and he's a real expert, and he has a huge uh, operation called Keto Gains online, where he helps people through the ketogenic diet, uh, you know, responsibly applied, lose weight and feel better and perform. And so here's a guy who's rip city, and he doesn't eat carbs. And, you know, I saw him on stage at one of the conferences. And he's like, how long have you been uh, doing this keto thing? He's like, since 2001. It's like, okay, I guess that's a, I guess he's a success factor that, that shows it's possible to operate in different metabolic structure than the average person. And so he's making ketones all the time. His brain's running really well on ketones to the point a super highly adapted keto individual can be two thirds ketones and one third glucose, mm -hmm. where most of us are 99% glucose. Mm -hmm. Maybe we wake up in the morning for an hour and we're putting in some ketones because we've been fasted since we slept and then we have orange juice and then we go to mainly carbs. And same with the muscles can get adapted to perform on mostly fatty acids prioritizing the ketones for the brain. And so we have this elegant, Mark Sisson calls it a closed looped system where you don't really need to worry so much about your diet because your energy production, your cellular energy uh, efficiency is really great just from these internal mechanisms. And we can make sugar that we need from ingested protein, uh, for, even from fat, uh, but these are you know, a little more complex chemical reactions. Well, I'm assuming he's eating nose to tail, right? He's eating sure. everything yeah. that's in, and if he, he's just eating the muscle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Sean Baker <laughs> eats just the muscle. Really? And he's world record holding a uh, rower in the Concept 2 rowing competition where they time you on the, in the stationary rower. Um, he's my age, a little younger, he's like 55, world record. And he's 6'3", 240, ripped. He's on uh, Instagram showing his amazing workouts. And he's like not uh, in that level of sophistication as some of the others like Dr. Saladino is really going for the nose to tail and all that. He just eats a bunch of steaks from Costco 
and performs like an animal, top, you know,、mm-hmm. top level performer. Well, then why? What made you decide to incorporate more fruits? Yeah, good question. Because because、um, uh, you just told us how amazing these people yeah, yeah. did.、Um, I think there's a lot of people now rethinking. The positioning and the application of these tools—I love that term, tools. Mark Sisson all the time when he talks about keto, it's a tool. It's not a lifestyle.、Mm. It's a tool to use to to fine tune your metabolic flexibility, especially if you have metabolic damage. But I think the greatest benefits come from people that need to go a long way toward、uh, cleaning up, as opposed to、um, I'm, you know, I'm. I'm past those hurdles where my blood work is pretty good, my body fat is pretty good, my insulin is low.、Um, there's no drama when I do my continuous glucose monitor to the extent that I I stop doing it. They like, hey, you want some more for free? You know, with my association with NutriSense, one of the great companies that are doing this. I'm like, no, give them to someone else. You know,、mm-hmm. all I see is like nothing happening. You know, or <laughs> you, you have your your desired spike after a meal. We should mention that if people are familiar with those, you get a spike, it comes back down. So it's、mm-hmm. called glucose variability, and you want Tight variability. You want、uh, appropriate numbers fasted. We go to the doctor. We do our glucose once a year. It's a hundred. Okay, that's good. So we want appropriate fasted glucose. We want excellent variability. So if it does spike, it comes back down. It doesn't tank. It comes back down. And so you're you're looking for a graph like this. That's fine. Like a EKG graph, right?、Mm-hmm. Up, back down, up, back down. And then the third one is、um, standard deviation. You want. Minimal overall standard deviation. In other words, you don't want、um, going up to 180、mm-hmm. and then back down to 90. You want to go from 100 to 140 and back down to 100. Yeah.、And、so you get a lower standard deviation number. Those are the three main goals of your well, glucose health. Well, if you're if you're eating all meat diet, it's it's going to be like this. It's going to、um, be a f- yeah, pretty much be, flat line. It's going to be low. Yeah. It's going to be 68、so. or something.、Um, you know, George Cahill, the the researcher、yeah. at Harvard, who did these studies back in the 50s or something, 60s, where he was able to starve people in the name of science, which is really hard to get this research. It's mostly rat studies, like we talked about. But he put these people on like a 40-day fast,、mm. and their ketones went through the roof,、mm-hmm. their insulin went down, and their glucose went down.、Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were able to, you know, go into good fat-burning mode. And high ketone production, and in order to、um, you know survive the ordeal. But、uh, you asked me a question, so it's like I'm always looking for optimal、mm-hmm. and the addition of nutritious, easy to digest carbs. So that was Saladino's contribution, saying, "Hey, I'm eating fruit and honey now, everybody." And people criticize him like, "Oh, Mr. <laughs> Carnivore guy is now eating fruit and honey." But he was noticing some problems with like cramping and some associated、uh, issues with perhaps. Not eating any carbs, and carbs、mm. fuel the muscles. They fuel the brain.、Um, we just have used this term, I think, inappropriately when we say carbs. Yeah, I'm cutting back carbs, and what we really mean is cutting out nutrient deficient processed carbs. Is how we should verbalize、mm. that, rather than saying I'm on a low carb diet. Well, if your low carb diet is low in carbs, but the carbs you eat are the keto bagels and whatever crap, who cares? And so.、Um, If we can distinguish between nutritious、mm-hmm. plus easy to digest carbs and the、uh, the vegetables, and that argument about the categories like leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, things that are known to be super healthy with all those high scores and micronutrients and all that, those also could be categorized as difficult to digest, especially if they're raw, and especially if you're sensitive.、Mm. So, it seems like a new trend where. 
um, people in pursuit of fitness goals and have good metabolic health are not needing fasting so much, certainly not needing keto, and ha warranting just going for more nutritious intake, uh, more, more intake of nutritious foods. Dr. Tommy Wood, one of the great leaders of ancestral health, a big athlete himself, he says, I tell my active, healthy, fit clients to eat as much nutritious food as possible until you gain a pound of body fat, horrors, and then you turn it down a little bit. Mm. But okay, you gained a pound of fat by really going for it and trying to eat as much fruit and steak and e eggs and all these sardines, everything. And now you know, okay, I don't need to stuff my face quite to that extent. And then you go back down and you feel great. And that's um, a mindset or let's say a philosophy that would be, that I would, I would kind of nickname eat more, move more lifestyle goal. Mm -hmm. Because if you're eating more, you're gonna have arguably more energy because you're consuming nutritious foods. And there's this, uh, what's the term where you have more thermo, um, like if you, your, your body uh, takes extra calories and finds oh. a way to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. So you start tapping your leg more. And people that have you know, good metabolic function are, are like they have fidgety things going on. <laughs> I don't uh, know. That's a sign of good metabolic function. Uh, maybe function. a little bit higher or, or appropriate body temperature mm -hmm. rather than the millions of thyroid sufferers mm. who have these weird symptoms that seem to be normal, especially females. You know, they don't know any better sort of thing. They have lower body temperature. They have afternoon blues, yeah. foggy brain function, um, maybe poor performance at workouts if they are trying while they're doing keto or while they're doing fasting. And then they're going doing a crazy CrossFit workout or something trying to keep up with you on YouTube with that <laughs> unbelievably <laughs> insane short distance workout. Those are occasions where if you're not fueling yourself appropriately and you're trying to um, you know, push the body with uh, fitness goals, it's trouble, and I'm, I'm, I'm raising my hand because I'm thinking like, we used to go on long hikes once in a while, like meet up with family members and go to Yosemite and hike for five hours. And I was so, uh, you know, fat adapted. I didn't really need all the food and all the junk that people were carrying along, and I felt fine for like two or three hours. And then like after four or five hours, I start to really feel like hell. Mm. And one time, like the end of the hike, my sister's like, maybe you should try eating more food. And I'm like, what for? I'm not hungry, but it's. Uh, when, when we get fat adapted, you can relate to this. Like you really aren't hungry for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And someone says, Hey, you hungry? And you're like, no, I'm fine. I'm going to go do a workout. Then I have a meeting. Then I'm going to be in the office and I'm going to grab lunch. Uh, da, 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 da. It's no problem, but you're tapping into stress mechanisms to get through that busy, hectic morning, especially the workout without food. It's just a fact. Mm -hmm. And if you're highly adapted, then it's not that stressful. But again, back to my question of what's optimal for me, mm -hmm. my new experiment that's lasted five months now is instead of uh, a morning of um, going with the flow and having some chocolate, like I'd usually, I'd say fasting until noon, but not really, because I'd have dark chocolate or whatever. I'd, you know, I'd nibble on chocolate and then have a big proper meal at midday. Now I have this huge bowl of fruit on purpose every morning and a huge protein smoothie where I throw in liver chunks, frozen fruit, 
a bunch of whey protein, a bunch of my little supplements like uh, creatine, glutamine, and 24 capsules of ancestral supplements, the organ pills that we talked about. So mm. if you really don't want to consume heart, kidney, or liver at your next meal, you can get them in a bottle now. I promote a product called MoFo for male hormone optimization. And it's great because it contains these freeze-dried animal organs that might gross you out if you were to slice up some testicle and fry it up, even though it has good <laughs> nutritional benefits. It might not be high on your list of things, and you might not find it at your local grocery store. Um, so that's like my super fuel for the morning. And I feel great afterward. I don't have a, a, a sugar crash from all the fruit that I'm not used to eating mm. because I have good metabolic health. I, I can process these, this energy fine. And if I did have, you know, th these crashes that people talk about are like, I'm sensitive to carbs. I do better on low carb. Um, it's largely driven by a foundational problem of having poor cellular energy production largely driven by having no seed oils in your diet or a lot of processed carbohydrates, mm -hmm. like your go-to bagels, pizza, Slurpees, things like that. You were talking about how the gut doesn't work well. Um, there's this thing called endotoxins. They're internally manufactured toxins, and the digestive tract releases these endotoxins into the bloodstream, especially when you consume like processed sugary, uh, like a, a Slurpee or, or, or a soda. And so when these endotoxins are circulating, your gut doesn't work well, your mitochondrial function is disturbed. And so that shot of energy that you just took interferes with your long-term ability to process energy optimally. And so if you're sticking to the healthy, nutritious foods like my bowl of fruit and my big smoothie, um, I'm gonna take those calories, put them to good use, feel so you, active, alert, and energetic, and then- So you feel better during the day, and you're not gaining fat. Right, Right. yes, And you're Th that is you correct, no, no fat gain. And that's a wild one, because I'm eating many more calories on purpose as an experiment yeah. waiting to see where the fat's going to come in mm -hmm. and all i'm finding is perhaps i'm recovering better so i'm doing more workouts and i'm doing my workouts a little better my mm. times are a little faster i recover a little better my afternoon is um, tapping my feet and having a nice podcast with dr joy <laughs> kong instead of taking my usual nap that it's been my you know when i was back in a triathlete i took a two-hour nap every day because i was so beat up from all the hard work so mm. yeah, and then you were gonna ask me something else, do you feel? No, that's interesting. So you actually, you didn't really increase your workout that much. Not much, but a but little you, bit, you just, and they're going you're better. You're efficient. Yeah, and like- But the, you're not, <clears throat> you're not uh, gaining weight. So where did that, those right, calories go? Right, that's the question, yeah. Right. This guy, Ryan Baxter, who was on my podcast, he's a primal health coach, but he's an engineer by trade. He's got a job, a life, a family, and he, he likes to work out, and he's not an elite performer, but, He's a healthy, fit, active guy with a very nice diet, and he also quantifies exactly what he eats mm -hmm. for years on a spreadsheet, the exact calories every day. So he's like a great, talk about showing me the science. He did an experiment similar to mine mm. where he consumed an additional 700 calories of nutritious foods per day for a year. Mm. At the end of the year, weighed the same, same good body composition, all that. So wow. where did that go? Yeah. Um, we have a lot of um, dials that are on between one and mm. 10, or in the case of spinal tab, one and 11. That helps but, with our homeostasis. Well, we right. have um, reproduction, 
repair, growth, and locomotion are mm. four. There's a quote from Dr. Herman Ponser, reproduction, repair, growth, and locomotion are a zero-sum game. If you locomote too much, like you exercise too much, you're going to turn down your reproductive function. Your libido is going to drop. A female elite athlete is going to experience loss of menstruation, amenorrhea. It happens among the elite distance runners and women that get their body fat down too low because they're working out too hard. And so that's like the most extreme example mm. of now you have departed from your most prominent evolutionary biological drive of reproductive fitness. That's what we're here for, literally, is the only reason. And so if it's like, yeah, my libido is kind of dropping because I've been training harder, you got a very serious health concern. You are trashing your health by definition because this is our most prominent biological drive. Um, so I want dials on 10 all the way, including mm. when I'm messing with the locomotion dial and perhaps trying to turn it up to 11 foolishly. And I'm totally guilty of that my whole life because I like to do it. Sometimes I overdo it. You reported after your famous YouTube workout that you were sore and, for, and so tired after the workout. Only for 10 days. Yeah, so, yeah <laughs> only for 10 days. In so, pain, yes. So that dial went up to 12 and the repair and the growth, the proper muscle tissue synthesis, rather than growing muscle tissue, making it stronger. I'm not saying you want to get bigger, but like getting stronger muscle protein synthesis that was all devoted to repair yeah. because you did too much eccentric contract contractions. And so it was like repair, repair, repair. Everything else is toned down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, this know, is fascinating. I don't like I, that. I, I, I mean, no I don't one like ever, that idea. <laughs> yeah. No one ever put it in that way that, you know, proper resources, energy resources, you know, to allocate to different bodily functions. I don't <laughs> think that's really talked about in a diet debate very uh, much. Or the exercise. I mean, it should be like very prominent uh, where I don't want to turn down my immune function, for example. Mm. But when I was pro triathlete traveling around, racing, training, I got colds probably five times a year. Wow. And it was like, no big deal. Here's another cold. It was just normal. And all the athletes would get sick, you know, wow. and um, a cold's not going to kill you, but like five colds a year for 10 years, mm. that's 50 colds. <laughs> and I've had like maybe two since 2008. Oh. And that was cleaning up the diet and getting rid of those processed carbohydrates and, and the seed oils. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah, this has been so illuminating. I'm learning so much. I think before we wrap up, I just want, I think some people may not understand about the seed oil aspect. So maybe you can educate people on what do you mean by seed oil? Why is it so bad? And what kind of oils are they? And what are the good oils? Oh, boy, yeah. Well, we'll do a whole show with an expert to clean it up a little bit. As I understand, <laughs> the fat is described by its uh, molecular composition. And so we have saturated fat, and then we have unsaturated fat. And you probably heard terms like polyunsaturated fat, monounsaturated fat, which are um, things like olives, avocados, um, high in monounsaturated fat. And so those are generally regarded as heart healthy and, you know, uh, uh, recommended to consume. The saturated fats are things like animal fats. So in the, uh, the meat, the egg, uh, things like that. And there's a lot of controversy around that, but we're now seeing that these are also healthy and have minimal health objections. And also coconut, coconut oil. Coconut oil is highly saturated. Yeah. And so it's a, a good choice to cook with because saturated fats are more temperature stable because as the term suggests, they're saturated. The, the hydrogen uh, sites on the molecule are saturated. And so when you heat it up, it doesn't explode into reactive oxygen species, unlike the polyunsaturated, highly processed 
industrial seed oils is the correct term. A lot of people call them vegetable oils, mm. but it's when you're um, extracting oil from something that doesn't really want to give the oil naturally, like an avocado or an olive. Mm -hmm. Olive oil, they call them first cold pressed olive oil is the best olive oil, mm -hmm. where they take the olive, they press it cold, no heat, mm -hmm. no chemical solvents, no high right. temperature machinery, yeah. and you get the oil and it looks dark green with this intense flavor. That's a good oil. And the bottled canola oil, corn oil, soybean, sunflower, safflower, these are things that have been heavily processed using chemical solvents, mm. using high temperature processing. So what you're actually looking at there is something that already has sustained oxidative damage. So it's truly like a cancer producing yeah. cellular destruction in a bottle. Dr. Kate Shanahan says if you consume vegetable oils, you're like, it's like consuming radiation in a bottle. That's how wow. bad it is yeah. for your health instantly. Like an instant disturbance in healthy arterial function and health or wow. healthy mitochondrial function. And it's so deceiving because if you look at the word sunflower oil, it's like what can be wrong with sunflowers and oil from sunflowers? Yeah. So I think it, you know, it's it, it, and they they are hiding everywhere in lots of snack healthy snacks. They're using sunflower oil and people, you know, think, oh, that's sunflower. So can't be that bad. Um, and canola oil, is t you can go Google canola oil and see that it's high omega-3 and it's a good choice. And Whole Foods still has canola oil on their shelves and despite their supposed, mm. you know, commitment to the highest thing. Um, but, you know, the research is mounting that these are responsible for a lot of deaths every year because they contribute to heart disease, cancer, instant disturbance. Your, your arteries uh, function uh, inappropriately for up to 24 hours after wow. consuming one dose of French fries. Wow. This is from Kate Shanahan again. By contrast, a cigarette causes an eight-hour disturbance where your arteries aren't as smooth and supple. The nitric oxide goes down, which is important for healthy arterial function. Mm. So a cigarette will knock you out for eight hours. It's an acute poison to the body. But the vegetable oils in this context, it's something to, it's something to consider. And then, by the way, if you say, I'm going to cut those out, you're getting rid of all this junky food that has no nutritional benefit anyway. Yeah. And then the last remaining one, which is the sad part, is like most restaurants use these oils to cook their delicious entrees in. Mm -hmm. Even the very high-end restaurants or the medium, like the chains, and of course the fast food restaurants are routinely using these. And this is new stuff, like in the last 30, 40 years, the widespread advent of these, where if you went to McDonald's uh, back when I was a kid, mm. they cooked their french fries in lard. Mm. And then we went that massive shift away from saturated fat to polyunsaturated fat at the recommendation of yes. government authorities to switch yes. from butter to margarine. And that was one of the biggest killers in the history. Yeah, yeah. What about grapeseed oil? That's, that's something that um, I've heard some, uh, you know, in health podcast some doctors are saying oh that that's good but then i also saw that that it may also be one of the yeah i think it's in the category harmful. and when you when you think about even olive oil um this distinction for first cold pressed is really important because they banter about terms like extra virgin mm. and you can go to costco and buy the big giant jug for 11 dollars uh, from italy and so what that bottle represents is first the plastic contamination uh, but also quite likely a very long shelf life so it's been around for a year before you're opening it up and consuming it and the research shows that they're often cut with inferior types of oils, especially avocado oil, which is like the new darling in the health mm -hmm. food space. They studied like, they did an analysis of like 130 different brands and almost all of them 
were cut with other uh, offensive oils what? and just didn't have what they said was on the bottle because there's such minimal regulation. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, avocado oils are more expensive. So they probably are making really good yeah. money by doing that. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's terrible. Yeah, but you know, if you stop cooking with these oils yeah. and be rigorous when you go to a restaurant to try to um, ask them to cook the meal in butter, if you're going for the omelet at the omelet bar mm. or just ask the, the, the staff if they can help you Say you're okay. allergic to them. That's what I do. Oh. Otherwise, they don't pay attention. You know, like, yeah, okay, well, we'll try, you know. Okay, um, that's good advice. Yeah, yeah I like yeah. that. And it's like, they don't have any taste. So it's like, we're not asking you to cut out sugar for the rest of your life and no more treats. Like, that's a little bit harder of an ask. Yeah. But this is a no-brainer just to switch. And yeah. you switch. If you have margarine or margarine-like products in your refrigerator, throw them in the garbage can right now. Yeah, absolutely. And go back and get butter and the, the traditional fats. So you said these vegetable oils damages your, your blood vessel function for how long? For up to 24 hours. 24 after, hours. After okay. a serving of French fries. This was on healthy college students, the study that I've heard Kate recommend. And okay. we can link to, uh, we have an interview that's pretty short where she just goes to town with her husband talking about the dangers of seed oils on okay. the brain, especially like the brain cells are especially sensitive to um, oxidative stress. And so, like, when you're, cons you're, you're literally consuming radiation in a bottle because you're consuming uh, reactive oxygen species, especially when they're heated up. So cooking with the oil, and then all the processed foods have been cooked with the oil, so Wait. they've been heated. This makes eating yeah. out very difficult. It's, it's rough. And I think your blood sugar spike that you, you showed on your um, Instagram oh boy, that's was, Chinese was food. dosing the, yeah, with the and oils. Then, <clears throat> supposedly pretty benign Vietnamese food. <clears throat> you know, yeah. rice, rice paper, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was the stuff, it was, it was stuff that was cooked in almost certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah boy. Yeah. Okay, well, this has been illuminating and a um, lot of wonderful bits of information. I think it's clearing up a lot of things that a lot of people are struggling with, especially if you're interested in health, that you want to optimize your health, and then you're seeing this plethora of information out there, and it's really confusing. I think this really helps give some perspective to to really what what uh, what what um, you know what options may may be the fundamental approaches um, and I love the part about um, nurturing your body's various functions by putting enough nutrients mm. so I'm gonna do that experiment I, I would you know, I already eat a lot but I can eat, try to eat some more <laughs> love it but I think you know there's one time I think I remember having some carb cravings at night and I'm wondering is if it's because I wasn't getting enough nutrition if I was restricting myself too much especially with protein maybe there wasn't enough protein uh -huh. there wasn't much animal products yeah so i'm wondering if that could be because now i've incorporated more animal products of course grass-fed wild caught and um yeah i don't really have that that sort of craving so i'm yeah. wondering if that's your body's signal that you're not getting enough nutrition yeah the body's smart yeah and you get a carb craving because your the body's looking for glucose and it's very smart it'll go get it it'll te it'll walk you right and lead you right to the um yeah. the, the appropriate food but if we but could, i'm wondering yeah. if it's actually needing nutrients like other yeah sure yeah sources it's, of it's nutrients. Um, you know like uh, i guess you could call it like a deficiency in your um, energy state mm. your low energy state okay and i think uh, at least in my personal experience it's also from a burnout day because we, we go so hard these days and we're re not really meant to be that way. Yeah. And like, I mean, people of my age group, you're probably too young to remember, but like half of my life was spent without the internet or mobile device or any of that. And now the second half um, 
it's you know come to be so prominent. But I remember those days where I had more downtime. I wasn't listening to podcasts at 2.0 speed all the time. Every time I exercise or every time I drive in the car, I'm always stimulating my brain and learning more. And um, I love it. It's great. I totally love it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't want to go back to the licking the stamp. Dear Joy, thanks for having me on your podcast. Oh, I need to put a 14 cent stamp and then another 34 on there because the price just went up. Don't want to go back there. But like knowing that we're trying to take on so much. Yeah. And those crash and burn episodes that I had so often as a professional athlete, mm. it was rough. It was It's a rough way to go. Interesting. And, um, yeah. you know, if you want to go for the gold, you're in that category where too bad. Um, but those guys are really good at resting, too. And I will say, like, during that 10 years of my life, I was asleep mm. for half of my life. Wow. I slept 10 hours every night. Really? And I took a two-hour nap every afternoon. And wow. if that two-hour nap was disturbed, like there was too long of a line at the post office to send the thank you note to Joy Kong, I was all cranky and my workout at the, in the evening was worse because I didn't have my full two hours. Wow. So it was just, a, I was a sleep machine and then, um, you know, putting out too much energy. Yeah. Um, so yeah. There's, a, there's a better way to balance, but I think part of that balance today, of course, is sleep, nutritious food, but also just chill time where we're not on the device and we're looking out and staring yeah. into space or whatever. Nature and meditation. Right on. <laughs> love it. So, okay. So we're going to wrap up here. And uh, we would love for you to participate. And if you have comments about your own dietary successes or obstacles, and leave a comment, I think it would be a very interesting discussion. So thank you very much. And thank you, Brad, for a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed the content. And if so, please rate and follow this podcast. To reach me, you can contact Uplift Longevity Center. That is Uplift with a Y. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Joy Kong MD. See you next time.